Happy holidays, everybody. This is the most wonderful time of the year, I hear. Welcome to Chance by Chance, the podcast for young artists, entrepreneurs, and creators of all types as they navigate the professional field. I am happy to have you here. This is Chance Gilliam speaking. I'm sitting in my humble abode, sipping some green tea, eating a bit of coconut, and I've just finished preparing some gifts I'm very excited to give this holiday season, including a can of sardines for my dog, Murphy. You might be wondering why I'm gifting sardines to my dog, and it's simply because he loves sardines. You might be wondering why I decided to wrap this gift. Dogs don't have opposable thumbs. They do, however, have teeth, and for whatever reason, Murphy really enjoys shredding paper. But that's not at all what I'm here to talk to you about today. In fact, I'm here to share stories, insights, and advice from a guest that hardly needs an introduction. It is none other than the Twin Cities' own Michelle Hensley. For over two decades now, 10,000 Things has been bringing award-winning, high-quality theater to people with little access to the wealth of the arts. Their free performances take place at homeless shelters, correctional facilities, low-income senior centers, after-school programs, women's shelters, and locations in rural Minnesota. This is spearheaded by Michelle Hensley, the founding artistic director of 10,000 Things. She's directed and produced more than 60 tours with the company. Dozens of these shows have made it to critically acclaimed annual lists, and Michelle has been named Best Director by City Pages, The Star Tribune, and Minnesota Monthly. She's a winner of the Francesca Primus Prize for Outstanding Contribution to American Theatre by a Female Artist, and is a recipient of the McKnight Theatre Artist Fellowship. In response to resounding requests to adopt the TTT model, Michelle has directed shows throughout the country, ranging from the Public Theatre in New York to California Shakespeare Theatre on the opposite coast. Her 2015 book, All the Lights On, was published by the Minnesota Historical Society Press. In our conversation today, we discuss making the most of limited money and resources, and the ways in which the work of her company has affected her view of the world and art over the years. Michelle teaches us how to diversify thought and life experience to enhance creativity and produce rich, honest material. She shares stories about helping theaters across the nation replicate the 10,000 Things performance model. We get a look at the future of the company, and Michelle preparing to pass the reins to a successor. We touch on lessons from parenting, thoughts and plans for social change, and keeping hope in every day of our lives. I'm certainly feeling hope after this conversation. Michelle was a fantastic guest to have on the show. She so warmly invited me into her home for this talk and was amazingly generous in every response that she offered. Please open your hearts to that today, and without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Michelle Hensley. Hey, Michelle. Thanks for coming on the show. You bet. It's awesome to be here. We're sitting in your house in Minneapolis, and this is where the the magic happens. You're... Well, yeah, the administrative magic on my laptop, yeah. That's that's a significant part of it, though. Yeah, it's I impressive. guess that is some of it. And there's a, a church nearby that you rehearse in as yeah, well, Yeah, right? just right across the street there. And this house actually used to be the parsonage for that church, so wow. it's kind of cool. Wow. I, not, it isn't anymore, but there's a connection between this church and this house. So when you were looking for space and decided on the church, which I'm guessing is based on living here. Yeah, it it was. We used to rehearse at the Quaker Meeting House over in St. Paul, but then I suddenly realized (laughs) there's a place across the street that would be even 
better. Right. So now I can just walk across the street to rehearsals. Really, my job really does not get any better. What did that conversation look like? <clears throat> you came to them and said, I have a theater company. Oh, yeah. And, you... and it's so cheap. It's like 60 bucks a week. Wow. It's amazing. Wow. So, yeah, churches are usually, you know, they've got these spaces and no one uses them much in the week. So, again, it's all about saving money, not spending money on buildings or offices or sets or fancy props and giving it all to artists instead. Hmm. That's a a radical idea. And it seems to have been going well for you. This has gone on 25 years now, right? Well, yeah. This is our 23rd season in the Twin Cities. And then I did it for a couple years in LA before moving here. Yeah. And have you, and I'm sure you have, it has gotten easier, but in what ways has booking and promoting these performances gotten easier and we might also look at the initial difficulties of explaining what you were trying to do to the facilities you're performing in yeah no i think um it's not it's just sort of the same in terms of going to a social service center or correctional facility and going hi we want to do some shakespeare in your big common room there and mostly they just think we're strange (laughs) You know, we get these kind of puzzled looks. Unless there happens to be someone on staff who actually loves theater independently, and then they really get enthusiastic. And that's the kind of staff person we look for. But it's still kind of the same. What 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 is different now is, you know, we do four weeks of paying shows for the general public, and those tend to sell out. And when I started out doing this, we would do, like, one show, for the paying general public, and maybe 25 people would come. <laughs> so that's that's really changed in a nice way. Yeah. When, when did that start to pick up? Maybe about 10 years ago, finally people started to catch on, and we had critics coming to review the shows in correctional facilities and homeless shelters, and they could see how good their work was. O- originally, it was tricky to get people to come because... The biggest thing we had to fight against was, oh, you do shows in prisons? They must not be good. They must be bad. Little skits about drug, you know, staying off drugs. Um, but, (laughs) but, But it's actually the critical community has been very helpful in getting people to see that. Not only is this really good theater... But it's good because of our non-traditional audiences. Mm. Um, The people we perform for with really hard-won life experiences, we respect them so much, and they inform our artistic work and make us dig deeper and be more lively and honest in what we do. So they make us better artists. Have you found that that's translated day-to-day? It may be in assumptions just walking down the street how has that expanded your thought process it it does i think actually everyone who works with Ten Thousand things finds that they look at the world differently just because you meet someone who's an ex-con an ex-inmate you realize he's probably a really decent human being that probably you know, made one or two big mistakes in their life. And so we, I think we see everyone's humanity a lot more than we did before we started performing. And speaking of interaction between performers and audience members, do you think you have attracted people looking for that sort of experience? 
You hold open auditions once a year. Yeah. What kind of people tend to come out to those? Well, we get really good actors who want, and that's kind of the secret to Ten Thousand Things is that we have to, because otherwise the depth of the theatrical experience won't be what it needs to be to match that of our audience members. I mean, I think the, the actors who join, who come out, are generous, kind people, which you actually need to be. In addition to being a really good actor, you need to have a really big heart and. Sort of a generosity of spirit that makes you want to reach out and engage with people who are you think are very different from you, and then you find out oh they're actually not that different at all. Interesting. Yeah. No yeah. one's really that different at all. No. Once you get down to it. And one of the interesting things about Ten Thousand Things is we don't have lights. We don't have theatrical lights. So usually actors perform on a stage with lights, and the house is dark, so they can't really see the audience. But with ten thousand things, all the lights are on in the room. We're just in that circle of chairs, and you're about two feet away from the actors,、mm. and the actors can see the audience's faces very clearly.、Mm. Sometimes way too clearly, so you can tell <laughs> if people are bored or restless or don't, you know, like what they're seeing. And so, the performance experience becomes much more immediate. So you can really adjust on a dime to try to. You know, make the connections happen a lot more than you can with a dark house. You have a TEDx talk online that I think was recorded last year, and there's a particular line in it about how every endeavor is richer and more rewarding when everyone is included. Yeah, you've obviously proven that point for theater. Do you think that can be? Applied to other avenues of art or just、oh, yeah. public life in general. Absolutely. I mean, it it really, as we talked about, it makes you see the world differently. It makes you see that all human beings are really part of this big experience we have, and not people to be compartmentalized and shoved aside. But I think too, you know, that the actors who work with Ten Thousand Things, we've come to. Have a really great group of actors of color who really like working with Ten Thousand Things, in part because there's a whole lot more people who look like them in our audience, and it's a chance to connect with. You know, usually a, a typical still today, a typical traditional theater audience is primarily white and upper middle class,、mm-hmm. and they're great in、mm-hmm. their own way. They bring their own special things to a show, but when you open up the The diversity of income level and race、um, and life experiences—it's made my life so much richer、um, hmm. with the artists that I've been able to work with, and has made me cast the shows so much more creatively with people of different colors and gender bending, all so that people in our non-traditional audiences can see themselves on stage. So my life has gotten so much richer from all these things, and I I can't imagine that anyone would turn away from such an experience. It's fabulous.、Mm. What is next for the company? Well,、um, there's some exciting stuff going on. It's really taken about 20 years just to figure out this model of how to take one play around to. Twenty different audiences,、mm-hmm. you know, and how to make that work, and how to get, you know, to get the income necessary to pay people, begin to pay people what they deserve. But now we have some money to 
let artists who've worked with 10,000 Things for a while and are inspired by certain of the communities that we perform for, like for example, a couple of artists might really love the immigrant centers and another audience, uh, another couple of artists love the women at Shakopee Women's Prison. So they create their own creative projects to go in and work with the populations, engage with them creatively. So we can kind of go deeper with them mm. than just popping in to do a show and leaving, mm. which is really, really fun. I think we're learning a lot from that. We just started kind of doing that this year. And what's also really cool is that now there are a bunch of theaters around the country who have adopted our model. That's right. So that's very exciting. And it seems like it, just this past month, we found out about two more. Co- so it's like the public in New York City and Cal Shakes and the Old Globe in California. Um, but we've just found out that New Orleans Shakespeare Festival is going to be doing a 10,000 Things style tour this summer. And then I think... Uh, we've, we've heard about a theater company in North Carolina that's doing it. So it's like wow. popping up all around the country, wow. which is really, really cool. And I think um, next December, we want to have a kind of a gathering of all the theaters now who work this way and see what we can learn from each other. Oh, that would and, be an and amazing And also experience. open up the doors to, you know, any young people that want to come and learn about this as well. So Has there been a formal transfer of knowledge when other companies use this model or do they just catch word of it and try it out for well, themselves. Well, usually they contact us with a bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they come and watch. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing, if they can come watch a tour and see how that works. Most of them have done that. A couple of times I've gone out, like the very first one at the public, I went out and directed their first little tour for them. We did Measure for Measure, and I did the same thing at Cal Shakes. But now if they come watch and there's a book out there, you know, they can read the book and email me questions. It seems like they can, you could probably get it off the ground. But mm. I'm really insistent you have to use the very best actors and you have to pay them well. And you must approach your audiences with humility and respect. There can't be any condescension at all. Mm. This is not like to become a second tier education outreach program which you know sometimes happens at theaters like oh we'll do outreach and and that department is not respected as much as the actual main stage work so it's always been really important to me to say this has to be part of your main stage season if you're going to do this kind of work wow to avoid that condescension yeah yeah (laughs) regarding condescension yeah and this is not to imply you feel it in any way but i'm wondering how your relationship to theater has changed over the years do you go see shows or sure i do and i still love seeing really good theater i will say the thing that's hardest for me to go see is shakespeare (laughs) because most places i just i don't understand it i don't Hmm. find it to be clear and i you know i admit i i have a bias because i've spent so many years watching Shakespeare in rehearsals going, I don't understand that. What does that mean? Advocating for the audience so that I just kind of do that naturally. And most of the time when I go see Shakespeare or other theaters, I really do not understand it. So I don't do too much of that anymore. But um, I love going to see especially kind of bare bones, highly theatrical work, you know, Mm. theater that doesn't have a lot of fancy sets and costumes. I love really good lighting. Of course, at 10,000 Things, we don't have that. But it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a pleasure to me at those rare times when I see really good lighting because, yeah, I don't get to have that. But I guess, too, now that I'm older, I don't go see theater as much. There is a part 
of you as you get older where you have seen so much bad theater that you really just don't want to go sit through more bad theater like life is too short. So I get to be, I'm pretty picky about what I go see. But yeah. of course I still go see it. Yeah, and once you once you put the years in, you, you deserve to be picky. I yeah, I, I am. I have to say I am. Speaking of putting in the years, you are going on 60. And yeah. I wouldn't bring this up except okay. I saw this in another interview. Okay. And I, I caught some mention of you potentially passing the reins? I think, yeah, it may be getting time to do that. I'll be 60 in two more years, Mm -hmm. and it'll be our, we'll be starting our 25th anniversary season, so that seems like a good time. We haven't made, like, an official public announcement, but you can put it on your podcast. That's fine. (laughs) I've certainly told people, and we have a really great transition committee that's very thoughtful and planful, made up of artists and staff members and board members and they're just doing a fabulous job of Hmm. kind of thinking it through and you know finding someone i'm sure who will be wonderful to step in and start us next a new generation of 10,000 things yeah is it the community that you've helped build that is allowing you to let go in this way yeah i feel like we're in a really good place right now i mean we have fabulous staff i cannot tell you how awesome the people I work with, our managing director and our development director and our production manager, music director. And we have a playwright in residence now, too. She's starting her fourth out of six years with us. We've got a solid financial situation with some reserves. And then now there are so many great artists in the Twin Cities, actors who really understand this work and how to make it work. And so I feel really just comfortable like saying, all right, Go off on your own now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's almost spiritual in a sort of way. It is kind of. Which, it's like uh, being a parent in a funny way when you hmm. launch your kid into the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. To touch on that briefly, what lessons have you learned in parenting that apply to theater or vice oh, versa? That's I'm always very interested good. to hear these answers. That's a great question. Well, my daughter, who's now 25, I think that... Most kids that grow up around theater turn out to be really cool kids. I don't mean necessarily that they <laughs> do theater. My daughter, like, she was pretty clear that she wanted to be a writer and not do theater. But but to get to hang out around adults, the professional actors, who take play as seriously as she did and treat her with complete respect, sort of as an equal, and then to get the sense that emotions... They come and they go, and you don't have to get caught up in them and hold on to them. When Molly was four years old or five years old, I think she came in, we were doing the Ballad of the Sad Cafe, and Terry Hempelman and this other amazing actress, Carolyn Geltzer, were working on a fight scene between Miss Amelia and Marvin Macy. And, like, I think Miss Amelia, like, punched Marvin Macy really hard, and Molly thought it was real, and she ran out crying. Oh, and then, no. But the actors were so great, and they brought <laughs> her in, and they showed her like how to do a nap and how it was all fake, and then she loved it. That's so cool yeah. that they included her in that. So, and I think that theater, you know, kids who grew up around theater get this real kind of ease with play and with emotions That's that's great. It just takes patience and acceptance and honesty and humor. Hmm. All those things are necessary for both theater and parenting, I think. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. There's a line in your book that I really love. I'm going to look for the exact quote really quickly because I know I have it. Let's see. (laughs) 
There's a line, if a small sun is hidden in each of us, then a big part of allowing it to shine comes from taking away whatever keeps it hidden. What have you taken away over the years, conceptually? And what do you think might be underlying truths among all of these different groups of people you interact with? That is such an awesome question. And thank you for reminding me of that sentence. I actually do like that sentence. It's beautiful. Thank it's you. Beautiful. Um, well, it. I think what it is is both our non-traditional audiences and our traditional audiences put up barriers when they're first seated in the theater to really opening up. Um, and it's kind of different in each case. For our non-traditional audiences, they tend to go, well, theater's stupid, it's boring, I won't like it, it's just for rich people, you have to go to college to do that, all those kinds of prejudices against the sort of eliteness of theater. <laughs> That's my cat. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we work as actors to break those down with playfulness and humor and truth and honesty. And for our traditional audiences, they also put up barriers, which really have a lot to do with having paid for their ticket, so suddenly they get very like judgy about whether this is going to be worth their money. And also in a funny way, because a lot of them have seen a lot of theater before, and so instead of meeting it as a story that's going to connect with their life, their barriers tend to be about judging the aesthetics of the production, like, hmm, this interpretation and... I don't know if I like that set design and I don't know if I like that the job that actor is doing. And so we have to work to break those barriers down. And then once we do, I think those little suns really open up and people can see it happening in other audience members that are sitting around the circle with them and they're opened up for the actors. And so those are my favorite performances. That doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's the best right and you share a forget what words you use but an exhilarating i think an excruciating moment at the beginning of each of your rehearsals yes all the (laughs) actors do so we that's how they introduce themselves those who have been on a tour before try to tell one or other one or the other of those kinds of stories to get everyone else in the right frame of mind yeah right yeah Hmm. and they're always excruciating I, I thought, you know, once I got better at it and we did it more often, we would get rid of the excruciating ones, but there's pretty much always one where it just doesn't connect for some reason, or the audience, lots of times it's because the audience doesn't show up, and then you're performing like for all these empty seats, and you can see the empty seats, it's like your acting partner doesn't show up, and sometimes there's just like, you know, not often, but sometimes they're like really inappropriate responses to a certain moment like people cheering when Othello kills Desdemona that's pretty hard for the actress you know there's a few moments like that but we always learn from them and yeah it's part of the richness and honesty of our our audiences I guess in today's world with all of the problems that we see do you have a similar approach to dealing with it as it comes or speaking on social change and yeah like you mean this election that we just had whatever it means to you oh my god it's i don't know i don't know what's going to happen i don't know what to do it looks to me to be so dark right now but i know that 
we have to fight. We're going to have to fight really hard almost every day these next four years to kind of keep on to just to hold on to what we have. Hmm. I don't know how that will happen yet. Everyone I know is still a little bit in shock and just trying to like take some deep breaths and hopefully by the time January comes around, we'll be ready to start like kicking ass. Mm. This cannot stand. I don't know how it will change 10,000 things. I know that one thing we've already committed to is trying to really increase the number of shows we do in rural Minnesota hmm. because it seems very clear that rural Minnesota or rural America has not been paid attention to. They feel neglected and rightly so. Um, I think they have been ignored by a lot of the elites of you know both parties. Hmm. So we want to pay some attention there and try to start some conversations there. I do feel like, in a funny way, although what we do is quite small, the number of people that we actually impact, it's really important work. It's really important as artists to keep figuring out what we all share in common mm. and to keep finding hope, because that is a really hard thing to do right now, um, and to keep helping people feel empowered that they can change things. Those are going to be... You know, the things we look at doing, I think, in our theatrical work as much as we can. And then, of course, outside of theater, because we're going to have to do some work outside of theater. Yeah. Now. Do, you, do you have ideas for yourself in that capacity? I don't know yet. I, I, I think that if, you know, if and when I leave 10,000 things, that is what I will be thinking about a lot, hmm. about how to do that. And I think we'll be learning a lot this next year about what works. We have to be really smart. Hmm. We have to be really strong. I'm hoping that someone in the Twin Cities will organize a massive demonstration on the day of the inauguration. And also, I know that there's going to be a Million Woman March in Washington, D.C. the Saturday after the inauguration I can't afford to go, but I hope that that happens in the Twin Cities. Like, I hope it happens all across the country. We just have to have massive protest and resistance to what mm. is going on. I don't know who's organizing it yet here, but I'm sure someone is, and I'll join in. There's got, yeah, right? there's got to be. There's yeah, got to be. so let me know if you hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> that, that goes for all the listeners. If yes, you any, please. If you anything, we have to let each let other know. know what's going on. Speaking of which, we still got a, a couple of minutes, sure. but if you have any place people can learn more about the company or oh, contact yeah. you, do you want to share that now? Well, yeah, I think the best places to start are to go to our website. And there are some really fun videos of actors telling stories about 10,000 Things shows and a lot of information there. And then if you're really interested, um, certainly the book, All the Lights On, you can order that over the website and I will be happy to sign you a copy. There's a little discount if you buy it from us. And I come see a show if mm. you haven't. Our next show is going to be awesome. I guarantee you. It's going to be Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, my gosh. But we are doing it with only eight actors, and it will be a racially diverse cast. Some of your listeners might know Steve Epp, who was a longtime actor at Theatre de la Jeune Moon and is just an extraordinary comedia actor and works with the moving company now. He's going to be Tevya. And then the rest of the cast, as you know, there are African Jews and there are Korean Jews. So we're going to have a really racially diverse cast making up the daughters and the, you know, the suitors and the mother. And 
It's going to be so much fun. And when do you? Uh, when does that go into production? It opens February second. We'll start rehearsals in January. Okay. So, um, and it runs through like mid March. So, yes, that would be an awesome way to get a sense of awesome. how this all works. Yeah. And then just a couple rapid fire questions. Yeah. Any favorite books besides your own that oh, you've gifted oh God, a my, lot over the my years? My own is not my favorite at all. I have so <laughs> many books. That's all I do is read. And honestly, I have really not been reading the news so much because I, I just feel like I have to shield myself from all the noise and focus in on what's important. So I've been reading like a fiend the past month. And one of the best books I just read is a novel called The News of the World. It's by Paulette Giles, and it takes place in like 1870s Texas. And it's the story of an old Civil War captain and a 10-year-old girl who was kidnapped by the Indians when she was six years old and then was sold back to the white people when she was 10. So this old Civil War captain has to take this 10-year-old girl all the way down Texas back to her people in San Antonio. And it's based on the really interesting fact that most children who were kidnapped by Indian tribes did not want to leave. Hmm. They did not want to go back to their European culture. And it is a beautiful book. And it just like let me go back to the roots of this country, which are pretty brutal, but also made up of enormous acts of courage and kindness as well so news of the world that's my latest favorite news book. of the world and there'll be uh, another one next month <laughs> last but not least if you could stick a billboard out on 94 saying oh. anything what would you put up there oh gosh that's such a great question we cannot accept this hmm. i think maybe i don't know that's i don't know if that's quite right but something like that that's something like, along let's fight lines. let's fight hard people wake up Let's yeah. go. <laughs> it, it's, it's an exciting time for that reason. There's definitely a lot of work to be done. Yes, exciting. I'm glad you have that attitude. It's important to find ways to keep hope. It's easy to sink into despair, but we've got to keep that excitement. Thank you for that yeah. word of encouragement. Thank you for the conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Such great questions. Yeah, Thank I'll, you, I'll uh, plan on seeing you at a show sometime great. soon. Great. Yes, please. Please do. Episode 8. That's a wrap. Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't Michelle awesome? Head on over to 10,000things.org to learn more about the company. And while you're at it, buy a copy of the book, All the Lights On. It's a really great read, and I know many of you will be interested to dig deeper into the work that Michelle and her collaborators do. This story lays it all out there for you. While you're surfing the interwebs, leave chance by chance a rating or review on iTunes... It helps new listeners find the show. And also go to chancebychance.com and click on my support page to arrange a one-time or recurring donation to the podcast. It's your contributions that allow me to dedicate more of my time and attention to the scope of this endeavor. Stay safe if you're traveling in the coming weeks. And until next time, thank you for listening.